So today we are starting our brand new series, People of the Book, a year-ish through the Bible. And we are going to cover the 66 books of the Bible in 57 weeks. That is more than a year. Uh, this is a serious thing. We are um, starting up and we hope that you will uh, engage it. Um, we're doing this for a few reasons. Uh, one of them is that uh, this is just a really crazy time, as you all know. And in really unsettling and crazy spaces, it's more important than ever that we know what story we are a part of. It's more important than ever that we know who we are. And to know who you are, you need to know your story. And that's the story of the Bible. It is the story of God's work in this world. Um, we also know that the Bible can be really difficult for a lot of you. I mean, sometimes it's really difficult for me. Uh, but I am convinced, uh, I've been convinced of this through my years of preaching and having to face hard texts, that the answer to those difficulties is not less of the Bible, but more. Um, we need to know it well so that we can know when it is twisted, so that we can know when it um, is pulled out of context, when it's used inappropriately. We need to know how to read it well so that we can't be... Um, well, like James says, blown by the winds of every teacher. Um, I think that the trick is more Bible, not less, and also to come to a fuller understanding of what the Bible is. So we're hoping that this series can uh, can do some of that for you. Uh, as you, And we're really hoping that you'll engage with it, that you'll read along with us. And one thing I want to say about that is uh, some weeks you're going to be asked to read quite a lot, like Isaiah in a week which is ridiculous. So uh, one thing that might be helpful to know is if you read about three chapters a day plus a psalm, you do that so that you don't have to read the whole book of psalms all at once because psalms are lovely individually and 150 of them is too much. Um, if you read about three chapters a day plus a psalm, you will get through the Bible in less than a year. So if a book is too much, know that there are going to be shorter books later and you can kind of keep up in that way unless you're super dedicated and you can just plow through um, those bigger books in a week. Good for you. Um, we're also going to use the, um, as a resource, the Bible Project videos, and that's kind of a bonus of getting to do church um, on video. There's not a ton of bonuses of not meeting in person, but this is one of them. Um, we're going to incorporate the videos from the Bible Project, which you can Google them uh, and they have a ton of videos one for every book of the Bible, several on how to read the Bible, several on different themes, and they're great. So uh, today we're actually going to watch two of them in just a second. The first one is called What is the Bible? And it's going to kind of give you, it's going to answer that question, what is the Bible? And the second is uh, just a, an overview of the whole story. So each of those videos is about five minutes, and then I'm going to say some a few things afterwards. Uh, all right, I think that's it. Uh, enjoy the videos. The Bible. It's one of the most influential books in human history. It explores the big questions of why we exist. It's inspired many people to do amazing things. And confused many others. And you've probably got one sitting around somewhere. So, what is the Bible actually? Well, the Bible is a small library of books that all emerged out of the history of the people of ancient Israel. And in one sense, they were just like any other ancient civilization. 
But among them were a long line of individuals called prophets, and they viewed Israel's story as anything but ordinary. They saw it as a central part of what God was doing for all humanity. And these prophets were literary geniuses. Really? Yeah, they expertly crafted the Hebrew language to write epic narratives, very sophisticated poetry. They were masters of metaphor and storytelling, and they leveraged all of this to explore life's most complicated questions about death and life and the human struggle. So there's a lot of different authors writing this book. Yeah, and these texts were produced over a thousand-year period, starting with Israel's origins in Egypt, then leading up to their kingdom with their first temple. But eventually, they were conquered by the Babylonians, who took them away into exile. Then, at a crucial moment in their history, many Israelites returned to their land. They built a second temple, they reformed their identity, and this is when the Jewish scriptures began to be formed into the shape that we have them today. Okay, the Jewish Bible. What's in it? Well, in Hebrew, it's called by an acronym, Tanakh. The T stands for Torah, sometimes called the Law. That's Israel's five-book foundation story. The N stands for Nevi'im, the Hebrew word for prophets. And this section consists of the historical books that tell Israel's story from the prophet's point of view. Then you get the poetic books of the prophets themselves. The K stands for Ketavim, the Hebrew word for writings. This is a diverse collection of poetic books, wisdom books, and more narrative. And the Jewish people believe that through all of these literary works, God speaks to his people. Now, there were other Jewish writings being produced during this Second Temple period as well. Yeah, a really diverse group of texts. And these two were highly valued in Jewish communities. And there was debate from ancient times about whether or not some of these should be considered part of their scriptures. So this is a lot of different writings over a long period of time. Why did they put them all together like this? Well, altogether, these texts tell an epic story about how God is working through these people to bring order and beauty out of the chaos of our world. And it all builds up to a hope for a new leader who would come and renew all creation. And then the Tanakh concludes, and this leader never comes. So it's an expertly crafted work, but it's missing an ending? That's exactly right. Now, a few centuries later, a Jewish prophet comes onto the scene named Jesus of Nazareth. He claimed he was carrying the Tanakh story forward. Yeah, so Jesus did a bunch of cool stuff was killed, but his followers claimed he was alive from the dead. Yeah, they said that Jesus was that long-awaited leader who would restore the world. And so his earliest followers, called apostles, they composed new literary works about the story of Jesus. They called these good news or the gospel. They formed an account called Acts about the spread of the Jesus movement outside of Israel. And then they circulated letters to different Jesus communities all around the ancient world. And they saw these writings as part of the scripture. Yeah, the apostles wrote all of this as the fulfillment of that epic story found in the Tanakh. And they were continuing the literary genius of the Jewish tradition. They also believed that God was speaking to his people through these texts alongside the scriptures of Israel. So that's the Old and New Testament. But what did the early Christians think of the other Second Temple literature? Well, different groups had different views about some of these books, but we know they read them and valued these texts because they passed them along with the Jewish scriptures. Okay, so we've got the Tanakh, the Jewish scriptures. We've got these other Second Temple period works. Then the writing of the apostles about Jesus. And that's a lot of literature, so what's in my Bible? So the Christian movement has taken different forms over 2,000 years. And from the beginning, all Christians recognized the Tanakh and the New Testament as scripture. And for centuries, much of the Second Temple literature was read as part of the biblical tradition. 
The Catholic Church eventually made it official and called some of the books from this collection the Deuterocanonical books. Some Orthodox churches used even more books from this Second Temple literature. And then in the 1500s, during the Reformation, Protestant Christians wanted to go back to the oldest writings of the prophets and apostles, so they accepted only the Old and New Testaments. Okay, I think I got it. But how does a collection of books produced over a thousand years by all these different authors tell one unified story? Yeah, that's the question we'll address in our next video. The Bible's an important book, but it's really long. Yeah, it's a collection of many books written over a long period of time, but altogether they tell one unified story. So, what's the story of the Bible? Well, it begins by introducing us to a beautiful mind, the author of all reality, a being called God. And he has the power to take the dark chaos of the uncreated world and bring about order and beauty and a garden full of life. And to crown this accomplishment, God appoints these creatures called humanity. Or in Hebrew, Adam. And they're made as God's image. Which means that they're commissioned to rule this beautiful world on God's behalf by harnessing all of its potential and creating even more beauty and order. This is a story about humans using their power to do meaningful, life-giving work. But the question is, how? Yeah, humanity now faces a choice that's represented by a fruit tree. So humans could partner with God and find freedom by trusting in his knowledge of good and evil. Or they could seize power and define good and evil on their own, which, God warns, will kill them. And they hear the voice of a dark, mysterious creature that tells them the choice is simple. Take the fruit. It'll give you power and freedom to rule the world on your own terms. And so they seize this knowledge. And as a result, they become suspicious and self-protective. It leads to fractured relationships, violent power grabs, and ultimately a whole civilization, Babylon, that has redefined evil as good. And so God scatters this corrupted human project. And here the story of the Bible takes an important turn. We zoom in to the story of a man and a woman who come out of Babylon, Abraham and Sarah. Yeah, God promises that from them will come a new people, a nation that has another chance to make the right choice. And if they succeed, it will open up this new way forward for the rest of humanity. And this is why the rest of the Bible story is about this family. And it does not go well. Despite God's personal guidance, Abraham's family gives in to that same temptation to redefine good and evil on their own terms, apart from God. Even when their best people were in charge, rulers who loved God's guidance and had divine wisdom, even they gave in. And so Israel was warned by their own prophets that these choices would lead them back to Babylon, this time as conquered captives living in exile. And that's exactly what happened. So even with God's personal guidance, Israel fails. Who can succeed? Well, the prophet said that the story wasn't over. God's going to send a new leader to Israel to cover for their failures and to transform the people's hearts and minds so that they can make the right choice. And so the part of the Bible called the Old Testament ends, and these promises are left hanging. And then the biblical story continues into the New Testament. We're introduced to a man who comes from the line of Israel's kings, Jesus of Nazareth. 
And he said that he was bringing all these promises to their completion. He confronted that dark, mysterious evil that all humanity has given into and resisted its power. And then he announced that God had arrived to rule the world through himself. Jesus taught about God's definition of good and evil, and he said that real power is serving others. According to Jesus, it's people who love the poor and even love their enemies. These are the kinds of people who actually rule the world. And that's confusing, but also really beautiful. And so is the claim that the story goes on to make about Jesus, that he is God become human, to be for Israel and for all humanity what we could never be for ourselves. He came to take the consequences of our evil into himself, and his sacrificial love proved more powerful than evil, than even death itself. So now humanity's presented with a new choice. Represented by a new tree. Stick with the old way of being human, or venture into this new way. And in the story, those who choose the way of Jesus find themselves energized by God's own power. People who know that they are loved and forgiven by God can become people who love and forgive others in return. The Jesus movement quickly spread throughout the world, forming these new communities of people who follow the way of Jesus. But they faced problems. There was persecution from the outside by people in power, and inside there was confusion, even compromise. Yeah, because following Jesus is really hard. And so the movement's leaders, called apostles, they wrote letters to comfort and to challenge these communities to stay faithful to the difficult way of Jesus. And they're called to hope for the day when Jesus will come and change everything. And so the Bible ends by pointing to the future day, when all wrongs are made right, when evil is eradicated, heaven and earth are united, and humanity can rule the world together in the love and power of God. Okay, so that's the story of the Bible, and it brings all of these books together. But what's interesting is that each book contains a different kind of literature that contributes to the story in a unique way, and that's what the next video will begin to explore. As we begin this series, we wanted to start with a bit of an overview, and I am really grateful for the Bible Project having done uh, the hard work for me. Um, normally those videos won't be part of the sermon moment, um, but they're going to do some of the heavy lifting so that Tony and I can focus, and other preachers that we have, can focus a little bit more on a specific text. Uh, I'm, I really love those videos, and I think they do a great job of explaining the scriptures. Uh, one thing about them, though, is that they are a little bit neater than the Bible actually is. And it, it has to be that way, right? Like, if you're going to explain something in brief, you can't get to all the nuance. Uh, like, in the Reformed tradition, in our tradition, we often sum up the one big story with the four words, creation, fall, redemption, consummation, right? Like, God created the world, and then the world fell away from God. But almost immediately, God started... Um, to work towards the redemption of that creation. So those two veins, fall and redemption, sort of track alongside one another. And we're living in, in the midst of both of those right now as we wait for the consummation to come, that time when God will make all things new. That's like a really neat and tidy way to sum up what the scriptures have to say, but you're not going to find that um, written out super clearly in the Bible, right? Uh, we need those elevator speeches so that we can understand what's going on, but they don't really do justice to the messiness of scripture. 
The Bible is a collection of books, you know, 66 books with different authors, different genres, different times in different languages. And they are all exploring, even struggling, with the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But they're doing it in different ways, through poetry and proverbs and letters and prophecies and even some types of literature that we don't have anymore, like Gospels and, and Apocalypse. The Book of Revelation is a genre called Apocalypse. Um, we just don't have that kind of writing anymore. And so we have to do a little work to learn how to read it well. And we shouldn't be that surprised by that. You know, I had a Jewish friend growing up, and when we were 13, she was learning Hebrew so that she would be able to read Torah well. Um, sometimes that makes me think that we should expect a little bit more of ourselves as Christians. Um, not only is the Bible a bunch of different kinds of writing from different perspectives, the Bible also has struggles within itself. Um, if you are stuck on where God is in the midst of evil, the writers of scripture are asking that too. And of course, the definitive answer comes not in a clear point-by-point -point explanation, but in the person of Jesus, most especially as he hangs on the cross. And if you're stuck on whether God is in control of every single thing or whether humans have some personal responsibility, the Bible is asking that question too. You know, sometimes preachers don't talk about this stuff because we're afraid that our listeners won't enter into the struggle. They'll just throw up their hands and walk away. But the struggle is really part of the beauty of the text. In her book, Inspired, which I've talked about a bunch of times and now I'm trying to get you all to read. Um, in her book, Inspired, Rachel Held Evans makes the case that our relational God has given us a relational text. We are meant to struggle with it, to ask questions of it, to debate it, to wrestle with God and with one another as, through its pages. It is a book that draws us together as we all seek the God who has never stopped seeking us. And the text itself works to bring about its own goals. And that's one of the reasons that I think the church really misses out when we all insist on worshiping with people who believe exactly as we do on every issue. I think it stunts our growth as believers. Jesus, command, Jesus' greatest commandments are to learn to love God and to love neighbor. And the church is especially well-designed to help us to learn that. Not because we agree with everyone in our space or pretend to agree with everyone, and not by pretending that we have no questions and no doubts, but because in the church, we struggle to work out our faith together, praying together, worshiping together, serving together, discussing, debating, challenging, and stretching one another in humility as we come before the God who is always greater than our conception of him. Now, I certainly don't have it figured out. You know, my questions aren't all answered. Um, but I have found that the more I learn to trust in the goodness of God, the less those questions unsettle me. You know, it was striking for me to realize that when I, when what I believe about God changes, God does not change. You know, God is steady and God is faithful no matter what is happening in me or in my understanding of God. And when I trust that, I'm more able to engage the scriptures honestly, 
to allow the scriptures to be what they are, to sit with my own questions, even as I try my very best to live out the grand story. Knowing that grace is around every corner, we can hold mystery without being scared of it. As we long for God's promised kingdom to come, knowing now that we see only as in a mirror dimly, but then we will see face to face. And so we hope that you will engage with us over the next year-ish. The scriptures are a beautiful mess that will shape you, challenge you, change you. And I believe that God will speak to you through them. I know that lots of you have struggles with the Bible. You know, it's been wielded like a weapon. It has been thrown like a stone. And for others of you, I am sure that it just feels boring or like you just know everything that's in it already. But I think all of that, the boredom, the overfamiliarity, even the baggage, they all come from treating the Bible as if it were an answer book rather than the living and active text that Hebrews says it is, rather than treating it like the God-breathed text that 2 Timothy says it is. You know, it's only dead words if we reduce it to being a rule book or an instruction manual. It's only dead if we treat it like a collection of stories about heroes. Read it once and you've got it down. But it comes alive when we allow it to be what it is. Each book telling the story of its time in its own place, but with words that reverberate through history that still speak now because they come to us on the very breath of God. I love that 2 Timothy says that the scriptures are God-breathed because you know what else is God-breathed? You are. All of creation is. God spoke this whole world into being. God's word holds the creative power that makes something out of nothing, that brings order into chaos, that brings life to dry bones, and that brings resurrection where there has been crucifixion. The word of God makes broken things whole again. And you, God breathed one, do not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. So sure, this isn't gonna answer all of your questions about the faith. It's not gonna speak to all of your frustrations or hurts at the hands of the church. But if you are struggling, like it says in 2 Timothy, if you are struggling to stick with what you have known from infancy and what you have become convinced of, don't turn away. This is the word given by the same breath of the same God who brought life to this whole place and who is working to bring it to life again struggle with us over this year breathe in the word of breathe in the breath of god in the words of scriptures and let them bring you to life too let's pray lord the bible has been so misused and abused that Sometimes it's hard to even approach it. 
sometimes we want to just know what the right answer is and that the Bible seems to evade us so often in that. But Lord, we trust in your goodness. And we long to hear a word from you. Oh Lord, this whole world needs a word from you. Lord, as we engage your scriptures this year, would they raise us to life? Putting flesh and skin on the dry bones in our own selves. Lord, speak your word to us, and may we be faithful people to bring that word to the world. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, I always forget to give the benediction, uh, so sorry that you missed out on so many of these blessings, but I would like to bless you now. Um, and please don't forget to go to the ministry fair. Um, it should be starting right now. Uh, receive this blessing as you go into your week. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all, both now and forevermore. Amen.